Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and your professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my truly amazing guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% globally, this podcast really is a must-listen, and again, it's really because of my guests. So when you are tuning in, for whether you're tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, Get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. And today, I am really excited. I get to welcome to the show Emmy-winning NBC News reporter, broadcasting icon, and prolific author Eric Burns. Now, he is renowned for his journalistic prowess, and he's been featured on NBC Nightly News and the Today Show, earning a place among broadcasting legends like Murrow and Cronkite. And beyond the screen, he is also an accomplished playwright and historian with 15 books to his name. Did I mention, you know, he he writes a lot? And today we're talking about, I've got this book in front of me, and I love this book. Today we're talking about spiritualism, which his exploration of spiritualism, which led to the intriguing book, When the Dead Talked and the Smartest Minds in the World Listened. It's an interesting title, and he's going to tell you how he got that title. And he meticulously researched this with the the support of the Society for Physical, Psychological or Physical Research. I'm not sure. Eric will have to tell me. That book is on my desk, and we will explore it today. So good morning, Eric. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. Thank you for sending me your book. Well, it was a pleasure to send you my book, and, and the word is psychical. I won't be pedantic throughout the course of the interview, but I'll tell you it's psychic research. I could not. It's like I like to think I'm fairly intelligent. That's a new word for me. So thank you. I'm going to go that one up. You're welcome. Okay, so tell us, Eric, a bit about you. I mean, I I think I covered the big points, but is there anything else you want the audience to know before I start peppering you with questions? And I will trust me. No, actually, um, the the attraction for me of talking to you is to be peppered by questions about this topic, um, not to uh, to promote myself. Hmm. Well, thank you. I want people to understand. And listen, I need to. This is a note to the readers. I've got the book open in front of me. And you start out with, I never thought I would write a book like When the Dead Talked. And the smartest minds in the world listened. Never thought the topic would engage me for more than a paragraph or two. Let's talk about that, because did this just come out of nowhere, or how did this happen? It's the first of the 15 books that I've written that I uh, started on without knowing a single thing about the topic. And not having, prior to beginning my research, uh, not having any real interest in in making up my own mind um, about whether it was possible for the living to communicate with the deceased. It it just wasn't a a part of any of my thought processes. But I was reading another book, and in that book was a brief mention of William James, um, who I, I, I guess we might call the reigning genius of American history the brother of the novelist Henry James. He, uh, he was considered the father of empiricism. He was the first man to introduce psychology to the um, college curriculum, which he did at Harvard. Um, he lived in the latter half of the 19th century and the early part of the 20th century, which is when my book is centered. It, uh, it is a history, not 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 a book about current events, but the appeal to me, and actually, literally, Denise, when I read what I'm going to tell you now, I dropped the book on my lap, which wasn't a great distance, um, 
but what what I what I read was that James, the least likely person in the world to believe in an afterlife with which communication was possible, James did believe, started to believe when um, some members of his family went to a seance and um, the medium told them that she had been talking to, I think it was James's sister or aunt, um, I, I, I don't remember, but that she was going to die. She had been ill. She was going to die in two days at two o'clock in the morning. She died in two days at two o'clock in the morning and I, I was hooked. I said to myself, if this topic is substantive enough to attract someone like William James as a believer, it is certainly substantive enough for me to investigate. And what, what intrigued me most was not the notion of proving whether or not this was possible, although I did reach some conclusions, but the juxtaposition, which the title reveals, when the dead talk, now that makes you think of uh, old women on street corners wearing bath towels on their heads instead of turbans with crystal balls, um, people of no academic repute. And the smartest minds in the world listen. I wanted to understand why. Why did people like William James, and I, I'll tell you, um, later on, uh, why did people like William James want to study what seemed to so many people to be fraudulent? I was hooked for that reason. Well, and that makes sense. And when when your publicist, you know, got, she got in touch with me and said, would you be interested in um, interviewing Eric Burns? And here's the title of his book. And I went, huh. And when I got the, I already said yes. I mean, and I told you why in the green room, Devin Blaine is a good friend of mine and she knows my podcast and she knows me well. And when she says, would you like to interview this person? I don't even have to go look. It's an instant. <laughs> yes. She knows. That. <laughs> now she did not know that this is a topic that I'm fascinated with. And I'll be very frank with you and the audience. I have never believed that our energy just disappears. I mean, we are energy and it can't just die. It can't just disappear. And I've had a very similar thing happen with me. I was in the bathtub and my sister called me from the hospital. Her husband had a hugely enlarged heart and we knew he was going to pass. We just didn't know when. And she was very quiet, which was unusual for her. She said, is he going to die? And I said, yeah, she said, when I said tomorrow. And he did. Mm. I didn't have to think about it. Denise, as I said, um, the book is a history, late 19th century, early 20th century. Much more recently, The New Yorker, in an issue in uh, 2021, published the results of a poll that astonished me. Summarizing, one out of every three, one out of every three Americans claims to have talked to a deceased friend or relative. And I don't find that shocking at all. Well, I, I did. Um, I've not had the experience, but writing the book, I mean, there, there, there are some conclusions that I have drawn in the book, but mostly I wanted to know how these, how these uh, 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 brilliant men, and they were men primarily. Uh, Queen Victoria was a believer. Uh, Marie Curie was a believer. Mostly it was men. I wanted to know why they weren't, as you said was the case with you, shocked to find so many people believing in, in, in the possibility of talking with the deceased. And um, that is really the main focus of the book. The, the, uh, the academic credentials of the smartest minds in the world and uh, what kinds of tests and experiments and trials they put the top tier of psychics or mediums through 
in order to come to their conclusions. Well, and you've mentioned this a couple of times. Let's talk about who these people were. There were two societies formed. Um, in 1852 in London was the Society for Psychical Research. In uh, 1855 in the United States, uh, headed for a while by William James, was the American Society for Psychical Research. The latter included um, uh, Thomas Alva Edison, um, Nathaniel Hawthorne, mostly, Denise, it included people whose names we don't know because they were academics. The Dean of the Divinity School at Harvard, the man who, uh, a man who worked at Johns Hopkins and was regarded as the top research chemist in America at the time. I mean, we, these, these people haven't survived the emphasis on the celebrity culture. But fame didn't matter to me. What mattered to me was that these men were legitimately geniuses. Now, parenthetically, I must say that it was always a minority, always a minority in the academe as in society on the whole of people who accepted this belief. All right, end of parentheses, back to the members in, in London. Uh, the Society for Psychical Research, as I said, Queen Victoria uh, paid attention to their work. Oh, as did Mark Twain in the United States. I was just um, going to mention him. I'm on page, well, it's the introduction, and the title is Before He Was Mark Twain, and I was hooked right then, right there. He saw his brother not only deceased, he wasn't at the time the Twain saw it, but he saw, he says, precisely how his brother was laid out. And the next day, um, he found out his brother had died in a steamboat accident, and he was laid out exactly as Twain's vision uh, had proclaimed. But just quickly back to the to the Londoners who who took this seriously. Uh, Gladstone and Balfour, names unknown today, both went on to be prime ministers of England, and they were members of the Society for Psychical Research. Um, Lewis Dodgson, who uh, uh, under a pseudonym wrote um, uh, Alice in Wonderland, was a member. Uh, Alfred Russell Wallace, right. who devised the theory of... Um, uh, natural selection, that is to say, what we call Darwin's theory, uh, who devised it before Darwin, but didn't release it publicly, was a member. So, again, a minority of the smartest minds in the world, but indeed members of the smartest minds in the world. How did you find them? I mean, how did you... I, I know you are a brilliant researcher. How far down the rabbit hole did you have to go to find these people? Not terribly far, because some books have been written about this subject. Most books that are written about the possibility of communicating with the dead are, um, the, the word schlock is the only word that comes to mind, and are full of tales that, simply can't be believed. But there are a couple of reputable books that, that, that examine the subject with some objectivity. And uh, these books made it a point to mention, as did some private research uh, done by the American Society for Psychical Research. I uh, did some work at the library there. It's, it's, it's in New York. And um, it, to find the names was relatively easy to do. Um, what took a little more time was um, finding out the extent to which these men immersed themselves in trying to find out whether uh, it was possible to communicate with the afterlife. Um, that was a lot harder to do, and uh, the very impressive library at the American Society for Psychical Research, which is in New York, just off Central Park, um, 
the library there was uh, of of big of big assistance. I would think it would be, and I'm I can't remember his name right now. Although I've read all the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, what was his name, um, Sir? Gosh, the Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle. Doyle. Right? Isn't he mentioned somewhere? Because he, I believe, was a big believer. He he is mentioned, and and I admit, somewhat dismissively in my book. I caught that. Yeah, I caught that. He was he he was. Um, he was too much of a believer. He he uh, he could not accept the fact that there were, well, somebody estimated that ninety five percent of the mediums um, in this country around the turn of the last century were um, were frauds. He he never never accepted any 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 sign of doubt. Uh, whereas the people who I've identified as the smartest minds in the world were much more cautious about what they said, much more exacting about the standards that they uh, applied to determine the legitimacy or lack of it in mediums. Well, and that's something you should apply to life anyway, no matter what it is that you're looking at or investigating or presenting as yourself. I mean, you need to be careful. You could, Denise, because of the findings of some of the smartest minds in the world, uh, make of my book a uh, a plea, so to speak, for open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. That's what the smartest minds in the world wanted to do. They, not all of them, not all of the members of these two societies for psychical research. Um, believed in communication with the afterlife um, either before they they began their research or even afterward a few were dubious they simply wanted the idea and this is important denise in understanding these men and accepting their findings they just thought it was worth research their fellow academics scoffed at them a lot of people, and William James is one of them, had their reputations tarnished. Um, they were they were written about in in very derogatory terms in academic journals. So and so, the president of Cornell, uh, who was a member of the United States, was was vilified. You know why why isn't this man running this university instead of uh, uh, dabbling with this falderall? Um, but it, 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 of course, wasn't Folderall to him. And it wasn't Folderall to a, a lot of people who were, as I said, who at least started out wanting not to make the case for um, this kind of communication necessarily, but to take it seriously enough seriously enough to investigate the possibility as if it were chemistry, as if it were physics. Right. They right. wanted it to They're be curious. part of Very curious. the college curriculum. Oh, I think I remember seeing that in the book, but I didn't realize, I should have written this down, that they actually wanted it to be part of a curriculum. Some, some did. Some right. did, yes. I'm guessing that never really came to be. No. Um, if at Duke University, oh, in a way, I'm sorry I mentioned it because I'm, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but there was a whole school of, I forget what it was called, Psychic Research, uh, ESP, and uh, for years you could get a degree in this at, at Duke, take many courses, uh, um, and then finally it got to be too controversial and Oh, for a decade or more now, maybe two decades, it has not been in the curriculum. But that's that's the only inroad in this country that these kinds of studies uh, ever made. Well, the military has something that they work with where people are doing uh, distance watching. I can't remember what it's called, but the military is very much paying attention to things like this. Yes. And so uh, do a lot of uh, police agencies right uh, do this um the percentage of times that a psychic uh 
I, I, you'll notice I, I think that I'm using these words interchangeably, psychic and, and medium. Um, the number of times that a medium has, has found who the killer was or how the killing was done, a vast minority of cases. But it has happened, and it, it has happened enough so that um, a lot of police departments use it more than will admit it, by the way. Some refuse to admit because they're afraid they'll be derided. But uh, there are some also, some, some police officials, including a, a former chief of police in New York, who, who wrote about how after they had tried every other way they could to find someone who is referred to in the history books when he is referred to it all as the mad bomber of New York. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember. Couldn't find out who it was, finally went to a medium, and the medium not only told the police who he was, described how he would be dressed when they found him, um, the police were astonished. I don't know why they would be. Listen, as humans, our minds are only as open as we allow them to be. And sometimes you don't want to open it so much that your brain falls out. That's me being snarky. (laughs) You see that a lot these days. But I have all of my life believed that we're not alone here. I mean, how arrogant is that to think that we're the only sentient beings around? It's ridiculous. And I think there's a lot that goes on around us, above us, behind us, that we don't know to look at, if that makes any sense at all. Or listen to. Yeah. Let me tell you something about Thomas Edison. Uh, To some people uh, about whom I've, uh, or with whom I've discussed the subject, uh, Edison's belief was uh, the most surprising of all. The last invention that Edison worked on was something called the Spirit Finder. Spirit Finder. He believed that in, in, in a, in a, not in a literal sense, but in some psychical sense, voices never died. That the voices of the past gathered together in little groups that he called swarms, as if they were bees, still exist in, in, in the air, in the atmosphere around us. This is Thomas Edison's belief. And so he was going to... Um, and he started on a machine called a spirit finder. Uh, unfortunately, he neither he nor his top assistant who worked uh, with him on it uh, left any notes, any drawings, any guidance, because the, the, they had just gotten started uh, when when Edison passed away. But to give you a specific example of, of what he thought, Edison believed that if we could only find the right pathway, it would be possible to listen to the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus preached. And if Edison had lived, he would have worked on that project exclusively. How was this project determined to exist? Was it a a piece of equipment? Um, he, How he left, know what it was? Nobody knows what it was because Edison didn't say. Edison wrote an article for Scientific America uh, in which he described his core beliefs that would make it possible to hear Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he described his notion of, of the swarm. Um, he said this is what uh, the spirit finder would do. But he gave no... Uh, you know, perhaps all inventors fear that if they get specific about their inventions, they'll be stolen from. I, I don't know. But he wrote about the principles, as did his top assistant write about the principles involved. But there is no no clue whatsoever anywhere in any of the uh, uh, Edison archives about how he planned to do it. That's a shame. While you're talking, I'm thinking of Napoleon Hill, Dr. Napoleon Hill, you know, Think and Grow Rich. And he really was what you could call the father of the mastermind because he created a group of 
people who were long dead and he called them his his mastermind and he spoke with them on a regular basis i thought that i was coming on your program to inform you and here you are informing me <laughs> uh, i'm i'm embarrassed to say um that i have in all the research I did, and I did quite a bit, not come across Napoleon Hill, but he sounds like a person whose methods, at least, whose goals were fascinating. Uh, they they were. And my, one of my, my very dear friends, Bengay III, was the last mentee of Dr. Napoleon Hill. It's said, and I don't believe this to actually be true, but it is said that Think and Grow Rich sold more copies than the Bible. It's a very famous book, and a lot of people, I, mean, I read it all the time. A lot of people are still reading it, and this was about 100 years ago, I think, that he wrote this book. I'll, I'll send you some information on it, but he, okay. he did talk to, and I'm not sure that Edison wasn't one of them. I don't have the list, but I'll look it up and send you that, because I think you'll find it fascinating. I'm I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Uh, it's something that that I I hope uh, readers will find fascinating if if they decide to uh, to read the book is the lengths that the smartest minds in the world went to uh, in 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 order to make sure that well there were three the three most reputable um, mediums of the time were tested extensively by both societies, the society in the United States and the society in, in London. And the lengths that the testers, that is to say the, the academics, the scientists, researchers who were conducting the test, uh, went to the lengths to which they went to make sure that there was no fraud being perpetrated were extraordinary. For instance, um, give you one example. Uh, most psychics work in, in uh, conducted their seances or their consultations in the dark, dark rooms, no lights. Um, and one of the things, no tablecloths, no thumping. I get it. Right, but one of the things that a lot of psychics claim to be able to do was uh, to perform telekinesis, which is moving objects simply by the mind, thinking the lamp closer to you. And the trick usually, and an easy one to discern, was to pull it toward you with black thread, with black thread on a black tablecloth in a room with no lights, you wouldn't see the thread. Well, this is just one of many examples of the kinds of things that the the geniuses uh, made sure didn't happen. The testing that they did was done with lights on. Um, there were people looking under the tables. There were people standing uh, around the psychic. Uh, there was no one, uh, you know, there, there were no uh, uh, blue teeth is that the plural of Bluetooth? I don't know. Uh, in in the, at the time, but uh, there was just no way, in at least three cases, no way that anyone could find fraud being perpetrated. Now that's not to say that most mediums were like this. Somebody, oh, somebody uh, late in the nineteenth century said, "Oh, ninety-five percent of these people are frauds." Maybe, maybe, maybe it's that high. But my reaction was, wait a minute, 5% are not frauds? That's the fascinating thing to me. That was the fascinating thing to me. And um, there were, I don't know how many, finally, but um, the, the conclusions of the members of the two societies for psychical research came to indicated that there were some people who simply could do things, could communicate with the afterlife in a way that could not be rationally explained. Now, it's one thing for me to say that, one thing for you to say that, but the book is about people who say that with a great deal of experience in trial and error. 
And I'm like, for our audience, we've been talking about Edison and, you know, his, his tool that did, I'm going to call it a tool, the spirit finder that did not get created. That mm-hmm. information is on page 213. So write that down. And when you get the book, you'll be able to find it. So Eric, this, this really is a fascinating conversation. And I've read this book twice. I read it on my iPad because I downloaded um, in Kindle. And I've got the book itself in front of me. And this poor book, it's got stickies all over it. It's got index <laughs> cards. It got fat once it hit my desk. It really is. But and that's I'm... a real compliment for the author. <laughs> so I, 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 I give you low grades on neatness and high grades on attentiveness. Well, I didn't mark it up. I don't like to write on books. So I use, you know, stickies. I, I don't know. Maybe it's from when I was a kid and we weren't allowed to, if we, banged up a library card, a library book, we got in trouble. And I think that still sticks with me. But let's talk about chapter nine, the census of hallucinations. Wow. Um, I I don't think, and and I admit this at the beginning of the chapter, um, well, I know it isn't easy to understand. It won't be easy to explain, but let me tell you, in broad strokes, what it was, the uh, Society for Psychical Research in London undertook a census of hallucinations, and they asked people to um, uh, write in and tell them uh, uh, about incidents that had happened in their lives, which non-believers would consider hallucinatory. Then, then they did some some math that is beyond me, but uh, what was it about? I think 17,000 people in England wrote in. Wow. And it was a lot. Most of them were dismissed. They were, uh, th- 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 there was something that seemed irrational about their claims or, or something that seemed false about their claims. Eventually, they paired these 17,000 people who had undergone uh, psychic experiences down to um, a thousand or less. Um, And these thousand or or slightly fewer than than that, um, who could not be eliminated, were were therefore uh, uh, interviewed and um, oh gosh, it's 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 it was hard for me to explain in the book, although I think it's relevant clear, but it's it's much harder now that um, the book is not in front of me, and it's been a while since I've written it to explain how this came about. But in one sentence, uh, the census of hallucinations proved that hallucinations can be real. Is that why we hear, look, I don't watch the news. I think it's propaganda. And I'll tell anybody, I think it's just nothing but propaganda. But we'll often, if somebody doesn't understand, say, oh, that's just mass hallucination. I don't know. There's a lot of dead people on the ground. You're calling that a hallucination? Well, it's a dismissive term. Yes, and, it is. Um, it's it's a term that was used a lot by critics of um, of the smartest minds in the world, and and it's the kind of thing. Um, it's too general a criticism to be meaningful, you know. Oh well, that's he just had a hallucination. What does that mean? It it gives you no information. I was surprised, uh, and he's very surprised, I, I, I by the weakness of the arguments of the people who um, were opposed to accepting the idea of communication with the deceased, um, I, I, I would have thought there would be many substantive arguments that, that could be made against it. But I looked and I looked and I looked and the arguments were, uh, oh, it was just a hallucination to let me give you this example, and I, I, I do it with some hesitation because it sounds so preposterous, but there are many witnesses, including uh, members of the House of Commons, members of the House of Lords, 
Um, and on more than one occasion, there were there were reputable witnesses of a man who levitated himself, sailed, for want of a better term, out a window of his house and sailed back into a window in an adjoining room. I, 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 I hate to tell that story because it sounds so preposterous. The reason I'm telling you is you would think that that would be something easy to gainsay, something easy to criticize. The, the most substantive criticism was that, and this didn't account for him sailing out of the room, but that there was a hot air balloon attached to this fellow's apartment building, that he stepped out the window, got into the hot air balloon, rode in it, 10 feet, 12 feet, 14 feet, whatever it was, to the next window and got out. Now, I don't know which is more preposterous, the notion that the medium uh, floated that distance or that he got in a hot air balloon. And the hot nobody, air balloon. I'm going to vote for that one. That is preposterous. Nobody and, and nobody on the street saw it. Exactly. Nobody in the room heard it, heard, heard the wind uh, uh, banging it against the uh, building. Um, hot air balloons are notoriously difficult to steer. They're but huge. You see, when I came across criticisms like that, I thought it was really difficult for me. I, 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 how do you rationalize somebody floating through the air? And the, the, the criticism or the explanation is that a hot air balloon did it and nobody noticed on the street that there was a hot air balloon taking up most of the wall, one of the walls of this building. Um, it, it was not an easy book to write and, and make sure that I was as objective as I could be. I can see why. And you know, people do want to suspend disbelief. They do. It's just how we're kind of wired. But at some point you need to say, okay, this could possibly be true. Let me research. Let me look at it. Don't let me just, you know, dismiss it out of hand. If you're intensely curious, you're going to be looking at a lot of different things that may not make any sense to you, but you're still going to go do the looking, the researching and if you're still doubting it, well, shelve it and go back to it another time or leave it alone and find something else to be mm -hmm. intensely curious about. But sometimes and it, the more lurid the story is, the more I'm inclined to go, didn't happen. Nope. I don't know about you, but if it gets so nonsensical, I just I've got nowhere to go from there. Well, uh Denise, maybe you'll have better luck than I remembering the, the numbers, but uh, they're in my book, and and you've you've seen them before, I'm sure. Uh, estimates of what percentage of the brain human beings actually use. I think it's now, I have, somewhere around two percent, isn't it? Uh, it's low. the highest that I came across. Uh, was one percent, uh, which which I mentioned in the book. Uh, I'm sure there are people who think it's two percent, and and also in in the book, uh, right in the next sentence, I think, and I don't know what this number is called, but the percentage, the estimate was the percentage of the brain that we use, uh, a decimal point, and I think there were seven or eight zeros after the decimal point, you know, one one trillionth. I don't know. The point is that we use so little of our brain power that we we limit ourselves, we prohibit ourselves, perhaps from understanding much of what happens in the world no because we're just not attuned to it yet. Well, we're not. And we're so busy running around, especially these days when we're distracted constantly. I mean, our brains are just overloaded just for with the distractions. Cell phone rings, you got email, your cat just threw up in your shoe. There's so many different things going on. And it's easy to exhaust yourself. And you don't have room in your brain to say, hmm, what was that I just saw out of the corner of my eye? 
could have been a floater. Maybe a floater's in your eyes. Could have been something else. But we don't really dig into it. Well, it's not our job. We have jobs. We have children. And we have uh, almost, I'll use the word inherent, Denise, almost inherent beliefs about this subject without knowing anything about it. Most people don't know anything about how mediums claim to work, what their process is, what their success or failure rate is. But just being told um, by someone, hey, I was talking with my great-grandfather the other day. He's been dead for 40 years. Well, immediately you come to a conclusion. So it's, it, 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 it's a topic, I think, which is, is so... Um, mm, controversial uh for a lot of people you, you know when you when you come across something that you cannot understand your first instinct is to just wince away from it yeah well or wince toward an opinion that's based on nothing but what it sounds like to you right. you did not talk to your great-grandfather yesterday who died 40 years ago nonsense you know let's watch the jets game <laughs> uh, well people wouldn't watch a jets game but that's <laughs> that's for another guest on another one of your programs. But you you it is the kind of topic that lends itself to uh, uh, belief or disbelief without investigation. I think. I agree with you. And by the way, again for our audience, the incredible flying medium that is chapter eight. You've got <laughs> <laughs> I've got this book. I'm telling you, um, there's. Let me find this again. I want to figure out how to, okay, to spiritualists, you were talking about the Fox sisters. That's a whole nother story. We won't go into it right now. But in Rochester, the burned over district's megalopolis billboard was erected at roadside in the matter of a gravestone. It says modern spiritualism born March 31st, 1848, died at Rochester, November 15th. 1888 aged 40 years seven months and 15 days born of mischief and gone to mischief what the heck was that all about the fox sisters are considered the founders and they were one of them wasn't even a teenager when they when they uh founded um modern spiritualism which is a term that's used for uh communication with the dead but uh after four or five years of um well i guess according to the obit it was five years one of the uh, uh one of the fox sisters at at a large new york venue i don't think it was carnegie hall but it was a, it was a large prestigious new york venue uh got up on stage and caused uh, the biggest furor that spiritualism has ever had when she said it's a fraud I've been lying to you people for five years, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, hence, the billboard that you just mentioned. Spiritually survived. Right. That. And a few years later, the Fox sisters recanted and said, well, yes, actually, there is such a thing as spiritualism. But um, it it did uh, it did have a formal uh, obituary or tombstone. And, yeah, and see that's a lengthy chapter, and I read it twice because I'm still I I can't determine if I think these girls were just complete and total frauds. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there was something real behind it, or maybe they were just charlatans. I don't. I can't tell. They knew things about people in their audiences uh and sometimes they they audiences is really the appropriate word it wasn't just a small gathering uh around the table the seance but uh they performed in some auditoriums performed they wouldn't like that word but yeah, I... they knew things that they had no way of knowing uh, uh, unless there was some extrasensory way of knowing it for instance they they didn't they wouldn't know they were they were uh, uh doing their 
uh, communication with the deceased at a large venue in Rochester, New York. They had no way of knowing who was going to be in the audience. Um, they didn't plant shills because that was tested afterwards. But they knew things. So the, 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 the confession that was later made didn't really make sense because the counter argument was, well, how did you know in Rochester that so-and-so did this even though she had died so many years before? In Rochester, by the way, um, this was the first time that um, scientists and medical people got involved in, in uh, testing the legitimacy of this. They, uh, after a performance, which had astonished the audience, uh, three doctors uh, examined, and I mean physically examined, let's use today's term, strip searched. Ow. The two Fox sisters to see, I don't know what, if they had notes written on their body, tattooed on their bodies um, at, at, at future uh, uh, mass seances. Uh, these people stayed backstage the whole time to see if anybody was communicating information. And they were stumped. There was nobody, nobody whispering, so to speak, into the Fox sisters' ears. And, you know, they got some things wrong, but they, they got a lot right that there's no way to explain their knowledge of. I think what I'm thinking of, which is why I'm still puzzled by them, is the apples. Y'all need to read the book. I'm not going to explain it, but there were apples involved. When yeah, it, it's, 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 it's good because I, I admit in the book that um, I don't quite understand how the apples led to spiritualism, how, how what started out as a prank. That's became, my problem. That's where yeah. I got stuck. Yeah, and none of the research that I did uh, addressed this issue, and I think that's frankly, shoddy research on, on the, the part of other people. But let me make a comment about the word spiritualism. Spiritualism, um, with a capital S, became considered a religion. And around the turn of the 19th century, well, the, the early years of the 20th century, it was the seventh most popular religion in the United States. It had more adherents than Mormonism, more than Christian science. And a lot of it was cultural. I'll, I'll, I'll do this briefly, but to me, it's, it's a very important um, chapter in the book, uh, the, the, the culture of America and how it influences uh, beliefs. Spiritualism grew in this country to its heyday, came into its heyday because of Darwin's book, because of uh, the Civil War, which was the greatest slaughter in our history, and people questioned uh, traditional religion and said, if, if, if there is, how could, how could there be a benevolent God who allows our fathers, our sons, our brothers, uh, our neighbors to die so horribly? It's a question um, asked every day all over the world. Yes, and and not to be dismissed because it's act, asked so often, and not to be dismissed with the answer, well, God knows what he's doing. Um, that that has just, I have never found that satisfying. You know, no, it's I not just, ours to question why. Right, my teeth snapped when I heard you say that, because when I hear it, I just think, oh man, I want to smack somebody on the head. We'll find out someday, you know, know, when, 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 when the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not revelation, but you know, when, when the second coming comes, we'll, we'll find out. Well, that's another way of saying we don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe we'll figure it out. We don't have a clue. Mary Todd Lincoln. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, was probably the probably the best strange way to put it probably the most effective publicist for spiritualism during this time because her son one of her sons died during the mm -hmm. civil war not because of the civil war 
but at that time, and she, she just devoted her life to the study of psychic phenomena to try to talk to him to find out what happened to him. He had a, a disease, and I don't remember what it was now. But um, these two factors, and there are others. I'm not going to go into now. Um, but the, the uh, Darwin's on the origin of species and the carnage of the Civil War were two of uh, the book mentions, I think, five or six important factors that culturally weakened the uh, influence in the United States um, of organized religion and, and sent people looking for alternative sets of belief, some of them turning to spiritualism. And that does make sense. In talking about Mary Todd Lincoln, wasn't she... Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't she a big proponent of seances? Yes. Okay. Yes, so, she was. Uh, yeah, she honestly, if you read about her, she comes across as about guano crazy, but I don't think she was. I hope she wasn't. What? How did you describe crazy? Bat guano. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> yeah. what a great I description. I don't, I don't know that say it, what I'm really thinking on the radio. I don't know that it makes sense, but it's awfully funny. It's awfully funny. Uh, yeah, and I love to read history. I will read, honestly, I started reading when I was three years old. My mother said it was because nobody told me I couldn't. I just picked up books and read them. And honestly, it just never occurred to me that I probably shouldn't be reading Guy Maupassant at 11. <laughs> or, you know, some of the things that I read. But... Wow. I have read about spiritualism. I have read about the concept of reality, which, you know, you talk about. I read, I'll read the back of a cereal box, seriously. And I don't eat cereal. I don't like it. But if that's all that's in front of me, I'll read it. And I'll know everything about that garbage that they put in that box. <laughs> oh, so it's just, we need to read. We need to think. We need to, you know, use our critical thinking skills. But sometimes... I think we have to just wander off into the fantastical and see what's out there. Well, again, uh, this poll published just two years ago uh, in the New Yorker, one out of every three of us agrees with you and has the experience to back it up. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've never spoken with the dead that I'm aware of. No, nor but have I. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure I want to. I had they had plenty to say while they were still here. I was I heard it, I listened. But I do believe, genuinely do believe that we're not alone here, that you know, there's a lot of energy swirling around. It may be another dimension, it could be that they're tapping us on the shoulder. I don't know. I just don't think we're alone. Well, you you just haven't figured out how to use that ninety nine percent of your brain yet. Um, oh. Yeah, if I'm working can... on that. <laughs> if I can get it All... up to 2%, woohoo. Who knows what you might learn in just that 1%. You never know, but you have to be curious. So we, we've got about five more minutes, Eric. What else do you want to share from this book? I have been asked by people <clears throat> to summarize it, um, and I don't like to do that. Uh, as I just indicated, there are cultural reasons for the popularity of spiritualism there are there's there are a lot of there's a lot in in the book even if you don't read it twice but oh, i'll read it again i'm not done my goodness well you'll probably discover things that i don't know and and you should you should give me a call so that for a next edition i can i can uh attribute additional material to you expect emails from me you'll be getting them okay uh, i'll be glad to have them um sir william crooks won the nobel prize in chemistry in 1907 he was no intellectual slouch he was a member of the society for psychical research and he conducted uh some tests, a couple of days worth of tests with the incredible flying medium, not just to see if he could do that, but could he speak to the dead? Could he 
as was said, put his hand in a fire and not be burned. Um, the man made a lot of outrageous claims and Sir William, a Nobel Prize winner, uh, and some of his associates conducted a couple of days worth of meticulously secure tests. And when he was done, he came out and uh, talked to some of his fellow scientists. Uh, some of them were believers, some of them weren't believers. And uh, Crooks told these gentlemen of his findings. And one man said, Sir William, really, you can't believe that. And Sir William's reply was, I didn't say I believed it. I just said it was true. Now, oh, okay, now I have to think about that. I didn't say I believed it. I just said it was true. That's an interesting sentence. You could you could mull over that for quite a while. I'm never going to understand it. I get that. I've already got that in my <laughs> head. But you can see something and know that you saw it, but still not believe that you saw it, I guess. Well, if you want to be cynical, you well, can, yeah, kind of. You can dismiss that as as a as a non-answer. Oh, you know, um, either that, you, or it's very profound, and we're just not smart enough to figure it out. It's 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 one it's one or the other. Yes, it's one or the other because uh, in 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 this sense, the sense in which we're discussing uh, Crooks's sentence. Um, True and belief are synonymous terms. You don't believe things that aren't true, that you don't believe also are true. If you believe in it, then you believe it's true. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in, in that sense, he's avoiding the question, but also he could be expressing his bewilderment. Um, and he could also... Uh, as as you suggest, be expressing something very profound that's in that uh, ninety nine percent of uh, unused cranial space. My first thought is he saw it, he proved it, but he can't really believe that it's true because how could it possibly be true? And scientists consider the scientific mind what, right. what the foundations of the scientific mind are rationality, common sense, trial, error, experimentation. Um, you, you, you have to, no matter what these people are saying, you, you, you have to give them some credence. These were the smartest minds of the time. Right. This is an amazing book. For anybody who's listening to this today or tomorrow or next year, this is an amazing book. So, Eric, I have to ask you, we're going to move away from the book for now because we're just about out of time, which makes me very sad. But with your extensive background in journalism and television and now as a historian, what's next for you? Fiction. Ah, what are you writing? And are you going to send me a book? I'm I'm going to uh, send you a book and not tell you anything about it now. Oh, oh, that's just cheating. Well, no, I I can't. First of all, it's it, I I I can't. I'm 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 still working on it. Actually, I'm finished with a few drafts, and I will do a few more drafts. But I I uh, I really don't like to to summarize, and it's it's harder to do with fiction anyhow because. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, all the characters are made up, and you have no reference points. Um, I'm I'm sorry to uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you to lead you on. I'm heartbroken. I'm distraught. You're going to get over it. <laughs> You're going to get over it, and you I, asked me the question. I did. Well, listen. Given your successful television career. Do you ever find yourself missing that aspect of your professional life, or are you just ready to, you know, keep on writing? Oh no, I I wrote uh, during much of my uh, television career when I had time. My first, oh, at least three or four books were published when I was working uh, full time in television. Do I miss it? I I I I I 
sometimes can't believe, but it's true, how much I don't miss it. Um, I, I am asked occasionally to do um, guest appearances on programs to talk about the media, but I, I, I tell the people who call me that I don't, I don't pay that much attention anymore. You know, I, 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 um, my mind is directed in, in other places. Uh, the news is hard to listen to for a variety of reasons. Uh, and it's not just how horrifying so many events are. It's also the superficiality uh, yeah, I of refuse. news presentation. I won't have I it used, on my television. When, uh, when Tom Brokaw and Jane Pauley hosted the Today Show, uh, I did a weekly segment on the show. And it was the Today Show was a news program back then have you seen it in the last few years oh no it's, i cut cable it belongs in a sideshow oh i believe you i i never did like i don't watch tv anyway like i said i'll you give me a stack of books i'm all happy but i cut cable 13 years ago and i have never missed a moment of it it actually the news would make my stomach hurt and when i realized that it was you know assaulting me physically i cut it out it's not to say I don't understand what's going on. I do, but I don't get it from mainstream media. I was going to say you're you're probably quite well informed by your own methods anyhow. Mm -hmm. I am. I make sure that I know what's going on. I'm just not going to have pablum served into my living room every day. Well, the 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 horror of such stories as Gaza and and the superficiality of of newscasts in you know, their two-minute presentations and their chatter back and forth. Um, it, it just makes most news unwatchable. I agree with you. Eric, I know I mean, this has been an amazing conversation, and I thank you so much. So before I let you go, reluctantly, do you have any kind of final thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience? Actually, I, I have. Well, I'm going to let Sir William Crooks's uh statement stand for that but there is uh, a final thought that i would like to share with you which is that um <clears throat> uh, although i uh, find it uh, congenial of you to thank me for being on your program um i would like to thank you for allowing me to be on your program i didn't do you a favor uh by spending the last hour with you uh let's say we engaged each other and call it even. Thank you. I think it's been a, a really amazing conversation and I'm so curious. My brain is on fire and I thank you for that. You're welcome. And I'm glad I contributed to that effect. You absolutely did. Well, listen, I sincerely appreciate your company today and spending time with you and your book has been a distinct pleasure. And I know that you don't have a, a genuine online presence. So is there any preferred means of contact for those who wish to learn more about you? And I know, and I can tell this to the audience, you can find Eric and all of his books on Amazon. So go there and go shopping. But Eric, is there any place that you want people to reach you or? Well, I am. I, um... <laughs> To the chagrin of everybody I work with, I do not have a social media uh, presence. And maybe I will soon because I'm getting tired of being yelled at by <laughs> respected professional people about not having a social media presence. Right now, I don't. Um, anybody who is, is, is uh, uh, really compelled to communicate with me uh, uh, you can always communicate with an author uh, by sending a letter to him care of the publisher. Oh, okay. So how would they do that? Um, it, it's in, in every book, the, the, the publication house is mentioned the address. Um, you just send it to the, you know, such and such publisher uh, or Eric Burns care of such and such publisher. And, and okay give the address that's uh, at the front of the book. Yeah, I'm looking for that right now. Well, I'm not going to give it. You have to go buy the book to get it. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Very um, good marketing sense. I appreciate <laughs> I'm not giving it away. Well, listen, everybody, Eric, again, thank you so much. And I genuinely do not want to lose touch with you. So for the audience, as we conclude today's episode, your feedback means a lot to me. And if you found the show helpful, please support us with a quick review on iTunes. Your input is vital in my mission to inspire and empower many more individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, and share your partner in Success Radio with friends and colleagues. And be sure to find Eric Burns on Amazon and wander through his book titles. My cat says goodbye. (laughs) That's Hamilton is an ass if anybody wants to know. So thank you for tuning in. And Eric, again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It has been mine as well, Denise. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.